Scrooge Family Ghosts by Todd Puccio, version November 2022, Chapter 1, Part 1, Memories and Promises. Several years before Jacob Marley died, one late fall afternoon, just as the cool air began to bring in an evening fog, Marley excused himself from a conversation taking place in his office between his partner Ebenezer Scrooge and an old friend. He stepped outside and paused on the stoop of his shop to smoke his pipe. Pushing in his favorite golden barley tobacco blend and lighting it, Jacob looked into the street. Jacob usually eavesdropped on such conversations, but his attention wandered away from the topic as he watched some young altar boys pass by on their way home. He knew they were altar boys because he had watched them passing in the other direction earlier that day during their Ember Days procession. Some new vicars must have been ordained in a nearby cathedral. These boys called to Jacob's memory the times he was a lad sitting uncomfortably in the pew, listening to his father preach. He recollected his days growing up in a humble parsonage and planning to escape to the big city to make his fortune. When he became a young man, he thought his father a fool, and the accompanying religiosity was a thing of fools for fools. Lately, however he began to see a shard of wisdom in it. It had been many years since he had last seen and spoken to his father, but on this previous Sunday he ventured into the countryside and to the home church of his childhood to spy on his old man. He was surprised. Jacob's father was quite popular in his small village and seemed to have rapt attention of a capacity-filled church so much so that Jacob thought he could remain hidden in the back of the church amidst others and not be recognized. He knew well that his father would often repeat the words of other great sermons, interweaving his own paraphrasing, and Jacob recognized a few often repeated phrases from a famous preacher that continued to resonate in his mind for the whole week. In Jacob's mind's eye, he could remember his father upon the pulpit, strong, deep voice, not threatening, but with a fervent and earnest concern, saying, Heaven would be hell to an irreligious man, even supposing a man of unholy life were suffered to enter heaven, he would not be happy there, so that it would be no mercy to permit him to enter. We think we can reconcile ourselves to God when we will, as if nothing were required in the case of men in general. But some temporary attention, more than ordinary to our religious duties, some strictness during our last sickness in the services of the church, as men of business arrange their letters and papers on taking a journey or balancing an account. Heaven, then, is not like this world. I will say what it is much more like. Our church. If then a man without religion, supposing it is possible, were admitted into heaven, doubtless he would sustain a great disappointment. Before, indeed, he fancied that he could be happy there. But when he arrived there, he would find no discourse but that which he had shunned on earth no pursuits but those he had disliked or despised, nothing which bound him to aught else in the universe and made him feel at home, 
nothing which he could enter into and rest upon. A careless, a sensual, an unbelieving mind, a mind destitute of the love and fear of God with narrow views and earthly aims, a low standard of duty and a benighted conscience, a mind contented with itself and unresigned to God's will, would feel as little pleasure at the last day at the words, Enter into the joy of thy Lord, as it does now at the words, Heaven is not heaven, is not a place of happiness, except to the holy. I fear there are those who, whatever be their sense of religion, still have such misgivings about themselves as lead them to make resolve to obey God more exactly some future day, some misgivings as convict them of sin, though not enough to bring them home to them. It is heinous, or it is peril. Such men are trifling with the appointed season of mercy. To obtain the gift of holiness is the work of a life. No man will ever be perfect here. No so sinful is our nature. Thus, in putting off the day of repentance, these men are reserving for a few chance years, when strength and vigor are gone, that work for which a whole life would not be enough. But despair not, my friends, there is always hope in the Lord and hope in our fellows among this great cloud of witnesses. St. James says the Effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And our first prayers must be for ourselves and our own salvation. And then we may pray for the salvation of others. That is our Christian duty. How can we answer to ourselves for the souls who have, in our time, lived and died in sin? The souls that have been lost and are now waiting for judgment. The infidel the blasphemer, the profligate, the covetous, the extortioner, or those again who have died but with doubtful signs of faith, the deathbed repentant, the worldly, the double-minded, the ambitious, the unruling, the trifling, the self-willed, seeing that for what we know we were ordained to influence or reverse their present destiny and have not done it. Jacob wondered if he would have the courage to visit his father again, and perhaps have the courage to speak to him once more before that aged man died. He wondered if he would ever have the courage to repent for his own wickedness. The last thing his father told him, or rather spoke to Jacob's back, as he was walking away from the parsonage, I will pray for you, soul, Jacob. St. James says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I hope that I, this humble parson in the Lord's service, may be such a man for the sake of my son. Jacob's mind's eye cleared as he watched the boys vanish in the distance and wondered if anyone else would ever pray for him. Meanwhile, within the office, the conversation between Ebenezer Scrooge and his old friend continued. Me? A tutor of business? Why me? Ebenezer asked. After all these years, 
I have asked you to never darken my door, and now you come to me for this? Surely your high standards would consider me to be a quite unsuitable tutor. The friend answered, Because that is what she wanted. Despite the fact that there are others who agree with your self-assessment, I have decided that there is something to be gained in it. Humbug, Scrooge responded. No, my old friend, a promise, a promise that you made many years ago. And everyone knows that the word of Ebenezer Scrooge is a solid word, good to whatever it is applied to. Scrooge paused. He looked quizzically over his glasses. Hum, you have caught me out, old mate. This boy, tell me about him, his temperament, his keenness of mind, his strength in body. The old friend replied, The boy will be of age soon. He has high marks in school. Not quite a top boy, but they are often his mates. He keeps good company. He is fair at games and well-skilled on the pitch. And his temperament? Well, yes. In that, he is like you, Ebenezer. You sh- Or should I say, like you often were. On most days... He has the most hearty of laughs, and speaks in ways that draw all of his favorite lads around him. And then there are days I think he ponders about his mother, and he becomes sullen and morose. He withdraws into himself. I suppose that is like you are now. His wit and candor are also like yours. No matter what his mood, his mind and his tongue are sharp. Sometimes I wish it was not, because it is like a double-edged blade that can cut both ways depending on his mood. When his mood is light, his tongue brings joy. When his mood is dark, it brings despairingly a dark sarcasm. Raising an eyebrow, Ebenezer responds with a slight chuckle. (laughs) Ah, perhaps I will like this boy. Are you not afraid that my influence would draw him down a dark path? No, I am afraid that my influence will not adequately show him such things and prepare him. You were already treading down your path when we last spoke, when you made your promise as requested. She knew who you were, who you are, and yet she still asked you to make this promise. I will abide by her wisdom. And the boy? I will trust that under both our tutelage that he will be able to make his choices from a well-informed perspective. I have faith in him. Faith? Scrooge scoffed. You have faith. (laughs) With such a fool as a father, I expect that sending the boy to me is the smartest thing you will do for him. Perhaps... The old friend said coolly. Scrooge then looked back down at his books and spoke gruffly. So then it is settled. Send the boy to me when he is ready, and I never want to hear from you again. Now leave me be. The old friend left the office of Scrooge and Marley. On his way past the threshold, he stomped his feet and gave a cordial nod and wished a pleasant evening to Jacob Marley when he passed by him.